It's good to be with you. My name, as she said, is Don Doe. I'm the state pastor of our little tribe of churches called the Church of God in Arizona. And um, I get to travel around. I know most of you, a lot of you, some of you, I'm just getting to know a little bit better. Um, so I imagine you have all heard that that um, Jared and Haley are resigning and we're leaving. And yeah, I think it was October 13th, I think, is their last Sunday. So this Sunday, as Sarah said, they had a previous engagement. So... Um, I said, hey, I'll, I would love to be a part of, of that service just to be able to let you know that um, I'm with you and um, we're with you. You have a lot of other churches that care about you and are concerned and, and praying and, and anything that we can do and will do to help out in this process. Um, I, don't, I don't know that I have all the answers, but I just, we're here with you. So, you steady as it goes and watch what the Lord does. He's always got a plan that's bigger than ours, and um, it's easy to be able to trust him. So um, even more important than me being with you, I just want to remind you that the presence of Christ is with you. This is his church. You are his people, and um, he makes all the difference in the world. So I, I just want to, I want to just take a few moments today and just kind of talk about the presence of Christ, what, what that looks like, what that means. Um, there's a guy named Duke Wellington, I don't necessarily know who he is, it just sounds good in the history, who said that um, when Napoleon went on the field, the field of battle, I suppose, it made the difference of over 40,000 men, that, that men took courage when he just showed up. But the man of small stature, but big presence and leadership made such a difference. What a, what a bigger difference does the presence of Christ make when he comes on the field, when he comes into the church, when he comes into our lives, when he comes in, into the battles that we're facing and the, the challenges and the trials, um, the courage that comes and the encouragement that comes. So I want to talk about the presence of Christ. I, I want us to, if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to the book of Matthew, the 14th chapter. I want to just kind of take this idea and kind of, kind of just spin it around, like as if as if it were a diamond, which in, in a sense it is, the truth of, of the presence of Christ is like a diamond. And um, as we spin it, the light will just shine a different glimpse of what that presence is all about. This is a story that most of us have read and heard and maybe studied before, but one that is uh, really, I, I would have loved to have been a part of this, this, this whole happening, this miracle, really. Chapter 14, verse 22 of the Gospel of Matthew. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side. They had just got done feeding 5,000 people. Go, you go to the other side. After he dismissed them in verse 23, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, you might just kind of highlight that, if not literally in your Bible, at least in your, in your head. When evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves, because the wind was against it. So Jesus tells his disciples, get in the boat. You're my, you're my guys. I've got a, dis, a destination for you. I've got a mission for you. you hit, I'm going to join you a little bit later. I'm going to go pray. And off they go. And it starts to get dark, evening, and a storm comes up. And he's up on this mountain, 
and he can see out over the Sea of Galilee. He can, he watches what's happening, probably praying for them as they're going. But, um, I wonder what it was like in that boat with those disciples. Here are the guys Jesus, you know, handpicked, invested his life in. They know about the presence of Christ because 24 seven, they're with him. They've been on this, this, this lake before. They've been on, in this boat before. They've been, in this lake, in this boat, in a storm before with Jesus and everything turned all right. Now they're in this boat on the lake in a storm without Jesus. And it's getting dark. And it's getting more and more stormy. And, and the presence of Christ is kind of distant, if you will. In fact, you know, I have a feeling that a lot of us are more familiar with the presence of Christ distant than we are close and imminent. We're, we, may be, we may be more familiar with the absence of Christ than the presence of Christ. A lot of us have a tendency, we, we, fill, we fill that presence of Christ up with religion, with church, with rules and lists and do's and don'ts and shoulds and shouldn'ts and oughts and ought nots. And this is what I think, my opinion, and, and and, and the mechanics of it all sometimes actually takes the place of the warmth, the presence of Christ. The distance. Here they are, and I don't, it's not listed in the Bible, but I would imagine they're saying, where are you, Jesus? <laughs> where are you? It's getting dark and dark and darker and darker, and the storm's coming up, and we're, we're struggling. Where are you? Where are you? You just leave us out here by ourselves? What's going on here? In, in the Bible, dark is, is a word that's used for a lot of different things. It's used to um, talk about danger. It's used to talk about fear, evil, uh, the unknown, the uncertain, um, distress. And, and evening is coming, and it's getting dark. I think both literally and figuratively. I mean, in the light, we can see our path. In the light, we know where we're going. In the light, we can tell who's our enemy and who's not, where our obstacles are, what, where our destination is. We, there's a lot that happens in light, but in the dark, oof, it's a little different. In the dark, things, things are much more threatening. And Jesus does something in this situation that's not only dark, but it's stormy. I read one time a man said, you'll never walk um, as confident as you could in the light with God until by circumstances or conditions of life, you're, you have to trust him in the dark. You'll never walk as confident in the light until you have to trust him in the dark. There's something that happens when, when Jesus is our only source. And it's sometimes only in the storms and the darkness of life that you, that you recognize, I can't handle I can't figure it out. It's, this is beyond me. But it's not beyond you, Jesus. But, but where are you? Where are you? I mean, you may be feeling that right now. You, it might be a relationship thing. It might be a financial thing. 
It might be your marriage, or it, you know, it could be the church. You know, the pastor's leaving. Where are you? Where are you, Jesus? Where are you in my life? You might, everything be going okay, but there's sometimes when, you know, we, we read the Bible, and we read and we read God's word, and it's like, I just can't, I just don't feel anything. I'm praying and praying and praying and praying. I mean, I'm, I'm going on the Zoom prayer meeting even, you know, and my prayers just feel like they're just bouncing right back at me. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm busy. I'm serving. I'm, I'm being obedient. I'm doing what God's calling me to do. And I just don't, I don't feel. Where, where are you? Where are you, God? Where are you? Uh, I think it's Oswald Chambers who said in, in that little book, Most for, for the Highest, um, that there, there are times in life when God seemingly withdraws his conscious blessing and makes us feel like we are all alone. Not that he withdraws his blessing. His blessing is always with us, but that conscious blessing, that consciousness of him being there, it seems like he withdraws that, and we feel like we're all alone. And the things we're going through, we, we feel like we, we are, it is particularly just us. No one's ever been in this situation. No one's ever had it like this. No one's ever had to face what we have to face. And I just want to tell you through what I read in the Word of God, what I've experienced, um, what I've read in in biographies of men and women who have followed after God for thousands of years now, um, you're not alone in that. In fact, it's, it's pretty common. And the surprise to me is, here's here's Jesus' disciples, the ones who are the closest to him, who are feeling the distance of him. Where are you, Lord? Where are you? I don't know if you've ever got your mind around this yet. Um, there's a little phrase in the, in the Bible that's used over and over, from the Old Testament to the New Testament. The righteous shall live by faith. It starts in the book of Habakkuk. It's hard enough to even just say that, not alone read it. In Habakkuk, the righteous shall live by faith. The just shall live by faith. Paul repeats it in Romans. The righteous shall live by faith. In Galatians, the righteous shall live by faith. The writer of Hebrews, the righteous shall live by faith. I don't know if if it's like God's trying to say, you might want to hang on to that because um, that's that's what it means to follow me. The righteous will need to live by faith. In the year 2019, going into the year 2020, it hasn't changed. It hasn't changed. And in the dark and in the storms, you got to go back to this. I'm going to live by faith. The presence of Christ. He might be distanced, but he's not left me alone. It may feel like he's withdrawn, but he has not. At best, he's up on the mountain watching me, praying for me, as he was the disciples. More than likely, he's on his way to a, in the middle of the storm to the boat that I'm in. If you, care, if you continue on in that passage of Scripture, verse 25, during the fourth watch of the night, which they say is like from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., the darkest part of the night, during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. That's, what, that's not normal. Have you, have you noticed? Have you tried that lately? Just take a little stroll. That's not normal. Walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. Not, oh, what took you so long? Or, oh, there you are. Or, I thought I would just look out the boat and see you, Jesus. They're terrified. It's a ghost, they said. 
And they cried out in fear. And here you have the presence of, of Christ, dreaded, if you will. Dreaded. We, we think we know all about the presence of Jesus. His presence of God, presence of his spirit. We sing about it. We talk about it. We teach about it. We pray. We, we, we ask, you know, show up, Jesus, or you are here, God. Thank you for that. And yet, I mean, if he walked in that door right now, it would scare us to death. What are you doing here? <laughs> what? We don't expect you to do that. What are you doing walking on the water? Our, you know, you're, you show up on Sundays only for one hour. You know, we, we've compartmentalized the presence of Jesus. You, this is the way we think you should act. This is the way we think we should. And then we're, we're out on our own. Anytime he shows up, it, it's like, uh, that's not really what I asked for. We have a tendency to, to put him in this little box in our life and live on so that, that we never really have this conscious awareness that, that yeah, he's here. So our conversations don't reflect the constant presence of Jesus. The words we use, the things we say. Our, our decisions often don't represent the presence of Jesus. The, the, the moral life that we live, the ethics that we live, the business practices. I mean, if we made all those decisions at church on Sunday morning, they would, but not on Monday, not on Thursday. We compartmentalize them. And, and when we when we think about it, we, we almost dread having him show up. We'd rather keep him at arm's distance. Just You show up on my terms, Jesus. And when he actually shows up, boom, they're frightened. They're, what are you doing here? What? Crying out and screaming out in fear. Verse 27, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It's I. It's I. Don't be afraid. I love that. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. It's, it's the presence of Christ revealed. It's, it's, it's the theme that runs all throughout the Bible of God trying to convince his people, you're never alone. I'm with you. Take courage. It is I. Don't fear. I mean, over and over and over again, if you will just recognize, I want relationship with you. Yes, you can know me as forgiver. Yes, you can know me as Lord. Yes, you can know me as CEO and director. I mean, you can, yes, you know me as high and lifted up as the one to worship. But I just want you to know, I call you friends, he says to his disciples. You're my friends. Take courage. I want you to know me on a personal basis as well. Some little highlights throughout the Old Testament in the New Testament of, of God trying to convince us of this. Take courage, it's me. I'm here. Um, you remember in the Old Testament when the the people of Israel are uh, being led by Moses out of bondage of, of Egypt, and you know they did all the ten plagues, and Pharaoh said, "Get out of here. I've had enough." And off they go, and they're heading out to the Promised Land. Packed everything up, and and off they go. The blood of the lamb has been sprinkled in the death angel and all that. Off they go, out into the wilderness. Being led by Moses, who I'm not sure, he, he really knows where he's going either. <laughs> Where's the promised land, Moses? Well, we're going to get there. 
Yeah, but isn't it that way? Yeah, but we're going this way because there's Philistines that way, so we're going this way. And out in the desert, wild beasts, threats of enemies. They have their little children. They have their families. They have they have their wild stock. They have and, and everything's up for grabs here, and they don't know which direction we're going. We're just taking it a day at a time. And then they find out that Pharaoh is on his way with the Egyptians to try to get them back. And they're like, "What, what do we do? What, where are we?" What are, we, what are we doing, Moses? And God says, here, let me just show you a thing. And he brings to their attention this pillar of cloud by day and pillar of fire by night. And the, he just says, hey, every, day, every morning when you wake up, look at the pillar of cloud. It is I, is what he's saying. Take courage. You want to know which direction to go? Follow the cloud. This was before you know, Mac computers, even before iCloud. Follow, follow the cloud. Follow me. Follow my presence. I'll lead you. We don't know where the promised land is. You don't have to. You just have to know where the cloud is. You just have to know where my presence is. Follow me. At night, laying there in their beds, and, and what was that sound? What was that noise? Is this, you know, who's that coming? And then you look up, and it's just this pillar of fire that enlightens the whole camp. It's saying, take courage. It's me. I'm with you. I brought you this far. I'm not going to leave you. I'm still with and, and they could sleep like babies just knowing that there's this glow of God's presence with them. A little bit later, as they're, as they're going, they are into the promised land. God says, build this, this little place for me to reside in called a tabernacle. And in fact, they go one better. They, they make this big box. It's called the Ark of the Covenant, you know, Indiana Jones, literally. And that big old box houses the Ten Commandments and some other and the presence of God in it. And when they go into that tent, in the Holy of Holies, that's where God resides. It's him saying, no matter what you're doing out here, I just want you, I'm with you. Take courage. Take courage. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. And at times they would go to battle, and they would they would take that Ark of the Covenant with them, and they recognized that when the presence of God was with them, that there was victory, that they had victory over their enemies. I mean, the courage that welled up inside them just to be able to look out the corner of their eyes and know, hey, God's with us. Some of the battles that you're fighting, just to be able to know, God's with us. It's me. Take courage. Don't fear. So he has this pillars of clouds and fire. He has the Ark of the Covenant, the tabernacle. And then the New Testament comes along and goes, I can do better than that. Let me just show you what the presence of God is in person. And Jesus comes I love the, the, I think it's the message in the new, in John says he, the word became flesh and, and took up residence in our neighborhoods. Um, he, he comes down and he, he, he lives with us. And we get, we get an idea of what it's like to, to be in a storm in a lake in a dark and the literal presence of Jesus. It's like, that's what, that's what his presence does. It's his eye. Take courage. In fact, those disciples took a little while to figure it all out, but once they got it figured out, after the crucifixion and the resurrection, just just having been with Jesus made a difference. In fact, secular leaders saw Paul and John or Peter and John and said, "Those were ordinary guys a little while ago. But they, it's evident they've been with Jesus. They're extraordinary. There's something about them." But it's like God says, "Yeah, pillars of fire, tabernacle." Even my, even my son, even me clothing myself and being with you, that's only for a few years, and that was only for those, those people right there and the, you know, that, that he was with, that he could touch and be next to. But 
What about everybody else? Ah, I know what I'll do. The day of Pentecost. His Holy Spirit comes to every believer and takes up residence with this constant reminder of the, the fellowship and the friendship of Jesus. This constant barrage of this one little statement. It's I. It is I. Take courage. Don't be afraid. We've got this. I'm with you. I'm in you. I'm dwelling in you. We got this. When, when the presence of Christ is revealed to us, it's, it's his recognition that, that whatever happens, if I can, if I can just recognize that, that he's with me, I can handle this. So much so that it's desired in this story. I, I love this. Um, verse 27, or, excuse me, verse 28. Lord, if it's you, one version says, Lord, if it's really you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. If this is really you, I want to be where you are. I'm desiring to be with you so much. I want to be with you so much, Jesus, that I will leave the boat, which is kind of halfway safe, even though it's stormy and dark and scary, and I'm with these knuckleheads that you call your disciples. I would rather be out in the water in that storm with you than in the safety of my boat, the relative safety of my boat. I want to be with you. There, there's a desire. When you, when you start to really catch the significance of the presence of Christ, there's this desire that comes. I want to walk where you walked. I want to walk like you walked. I want to be with you. I, 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 I don't want to just live the mechanics of another religion. I want, I want you. I want a relationship with you. I want to be a friend. I want you with me. So the presence of Christ kind of lays it out on the line. It's the presence of Christ's trust in verse 29. Okay, come, Jesus said. Probably Peter's like, I didn't expect you to say that. You know, Jesus says, that's really you I want to be with. I want to come out there. I'm going to go on that water. Okay, come on. Wait, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. And Peter got down out of the boat. Walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Maybe not quite as drastic as that or as dramatic as that, but every one of us get to that point. Jesus, I want you. I want to be. I want you with me. I, I need you in my life. I want to. I want to follow you. And He'll look us in the eye and say, "Okay, come on, come, come." And that's the moment. That's the moment when the presence of Christ becomes really real, when we can trust it, when we step out on that truth. Not just knowing in our head, not just theologically knowing something or theoretically knowing something, but we're stepping out, the righteous living by faith. And so Peter got down the boat, walked on the water, came toward Jesus, and when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. It's the presence of Christ forgotten. He'd walked, he'd walked on the water for a little bit, but the waves were so big, it was so dark and scary. The wind was so strong. The circumstances were, were just crazy. Maybe the waves higher than, than Jesus. I don't, I don't know. And he just, he gave up. He started going down. 
He, he forgot who the Lord was. Down he went. You ever, you ever do that? You're, you're walking with the Lord. It, it seems so good and everything's going well. And, and then all of a sudden, boom, circumstances get so big and strong against you that you take your eyes off him for a little bit and you, and you start to go down. I mean, you still believe in him. You still, you still are forgiven by him. You're probably going to live in heaven still. You're just, you're, life's got you down. You're going under the water. You forgot it. You forgot the God who who is strong enough and big enough to to walk on the water to come out there. Lord, save me, he cries out again. And immediately, verse 31, Jesus reaches out his hand and caught him. You little faith, he said. Didn't you read in Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith? You little faith, why'd you doubt? And Jesus restores him, takes him by the hand, pulls him back up. I love that. I love that. I mean, there's been more than one time in my life going under. He pulled me back up. So glad. So glad he doesn't just say, I told you so. Uh, not you again. Why do you have too much faith? You know, pulls him up. When he climbed back into the boat, when, when they climbed into the boat, verse 32, the wind died down. Ah. And then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you're the Son of God. Truly, you're the Son of God. Underwater. I, I, wonder, how, I wonder how Jesus and Peter got back from where, I don't know if the, how far from the boat they were, if they had drifted or if the storm would I wonder how they got back into the boat. Think, think Jesus got in the water and dog paddled back with this guy. Do you think maybe he did the lifeguard thing? I have a feeling they walked back together, climbed into that boat. And here's Peter, half man of faith and half a man of failure. And here's what I love. He brings the presence of Christ into the boat. The presence of Christ is multiplied in the whole boat has the favor of Christ with them. The the storm calms down. The sun comes up, and they worship. One man brings the presence of Christ into the boat. One man, one woman can bring the presence of Christ into this boat, and it will be multiplied. And the favor and the peace and the blessing Jesus can be brought to the whole boat by some just one man, one woman catching on to the presence of Christ. One church, one little boat, one little rowboat full of people can multiply the presence of Christ to a whole community. All Queen Creek, all Santan Valley can be made different by, in the case of this story, 12 men in a boat change the world. Church, size of one community, make a huge difference in the multiplying presence of Christ. I don't, I don't like to oversell things, so I, but I, I could sure go really, really close on this one. Maybe it's oversell, I don't know. But I think the presence of Christ is, is just the biggest deal. I think it'll change your life. I think it will, you will never be the same knowing that the presence of Christ is with you on a daily basis.
Your faith will change. Your attitude will change. Your relationships will change. Your church will change. Our world will change. The presence of Jesus. Amen. Lord, thank you for loving us enough to come to this world, to take up tabernacle among us, to, to live and dwell in our midst. Lord Jesus, you, you have said that our heart is the tabernacle. So we, we want to open it up to you. We want, we want the Holy of Holies to reside right here. So where you need to clean us out, where you need to forgive us, where you need to remove the debris, we repent. We, we, are, we fall short of probably what you call us to be. But as you clean us out and clear it all out, and you make us a holy place, would, would you just set up shop? That people would, would, would see the radiation of the Spirit of God in us, reflected in us. And that they would be drawn to you. And that the multiplication of the Spirit of God would be, would be something that would start right here. This house, in this church, in these lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.